following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. So today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. And that can be found on page 1144 of the Church Bibles. So that's 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. And that's 1, 1, 1, no, 1, 1, 4, 4 of the Church Bibles. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. So as Claire said, tonight on Nick's Scott Talent, I would like to play the part of Hannah Wilkinson. (laughs) Whoever thought it would come to this. Let's pray. Lord, may your word take root in our hearts and transform our lives. 
Amen. Come with me to ancient Corinth, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. To the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a church full of all kinds of people, from those with advanced academic qualifications through to those who left school as soon as they could, and all kinds of people in between. And which of these people do you think, Paul wants to say, matter the most to God? And the answer is, all of them. Though it turns out that there may be a bit of a stumbling block in the way of the academically clever people realizing this. Because they might instead be trusting in their own cleverness, or to use Paul's preferred word here in 1 Corinthians, their own wisdom. We're still near the beginning of a letter that is going to take in all kinds of topics, from how to run a communion service, through to sexual ethics, through to what to do when you are offended, through to speaking in tongues, through to marriage and remarriage, to what love is and what love's got to do with anything, and right on through to the resurrection and what the resurrection has to do with everything. And as part of preparing the ground for all these things, Paul engages in a remarkable little argument here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that sets the ground rules for what it means to be wise, what it means to understand things properly, what it means to see things the way God wants us to see them. Paul is writing in Greco-Roman times when a lot of emphasis would have been placed on being a good speaker, mastering the art of rhetoric, where you could capture an audience, a bit like the way that stand-up comedians today can hold an audience, just one person talking at length, and everyone listens to every word. Well, in a clever twist, Paul uses all the tricks of ancient rhetorical style to argue that God is not impressed with rhetorical style, which is not irrelevant to where we are going with our thinking about wisdom as we look at this passage this evening. But in order to simplify how he proceeds, I'm going to break it down into three ways of thinking about being wise or not wise. Three ways of thinking about being wise or not wise. So are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. First, there is the way of thinking that says we all know what wisdom is and followers of Christ should be wise like that. So, Study hard, learn stuff, use your common sense, develop the seven habits of highly effective people, rise up in the world, get an education, get a job, get a house, get ahead. On this view, I think Christians are model citizens. 
committed to following the rules, doing good to all people, and hoping that, in the words of Jesus, a little yeast will work through the whole batch, and their good deeds will help to advance the cause of the kingdom of God. And there is a lot to like in this model, because good neighbors are preferable to noisy neighbors. Nice people can be enjoyable to be around. And being wise is kind of learning about uh, common sense and doing things properly. All good. Though it turns out that Paul is not impressed. Verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I speak as someone who has a degree in philosophy, to which Paul would probably say, so what? Option two. Okay then, if Paul is so unimpressed by this and believes instead that God has made foolish the wisdom of this world, then perhaps the idea is this. We all know what wisdom is, but Christians do not pursue it because we are called to live to a different standard, to march to a different drum. And so we drop out of our philosophy degree, avoid trying to work our way up the wisdom ladder and rejoice instead in being foolish in the world's eyes. Well, there's quite a lot to like also in this model. Quit the rat race. Avoid working yourself into the ground just to get rich or to get ahead. Turn away from power and privilege. Give to charity, recycle, declutter, downsize. And I speak with some envy here. I keep buying books on decluttering and I've run out of space to know where to put them. So this too can be good. But actually it turns out that Paul is still not that impressed because this option is still defining wisdom in the world's terms and simply evaluating it negatively rather than positively. This is closer to what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians than the first option, but both these two options get off on the wrong foot by saying, and I admit to sneaking it in quickly at the beginning as if it was uncontroversial, by saying, we all know what wisdom is. One option then pursues it, option two then doesn't. But there is a third option, and it is the one that Paul is aiming for in this chapter. So, option three. We don't know what wisdom is. Or at least, we don't naturally know what wisdom is. Our own frames of reference for wisdom are not adequate says Paul, because God has done something that reveals that we, both Jews and Gentiles, have not grasped wisdom in God's terms until, well, until what? Let's look at the passage. Verse 21 is interesting. In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. That's Paul saying, we don't know what wisdom is until we let God define it. 
For Jews, it would mean finding signs to prove that they were right. For the Greeks, the clever speakers that Paul is battling with here, it would mean finding the kind of wisdom they were looking for. But this is verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. And this is either a stumbling block or foolishness, depending on who you are. Unless you are citizens of a third kingdom, a third option, which is God's kingdom, God's option, and which is, this is verse 18 now, the message of the cross. So wait a minute. Is this Christian option wise or foolish? Well, it all depends on what you are using to measure it. And part of Paul's point here is that all our ways of measuring wisdom are not up to the task of capturing God's wisdom because God has done this new thing in the cross that changes everything for everyone in Corinth, whether they thought of themselves as clever or influential or of noble birth or not. None of them really had wisdom unless they started again with God's wisdom based around the message of the cross. So to recap, for everybody, both Jews and Greeks, if you get it, if you see what God has done with the cross, then, verse 24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God's way is all wisdom then. Yes, except that if you don't get it and try to measure it by your own standards, then it is the foolishness of God verse 25, or the weakness of God, also verse 25. Okay, Paul, let me ask you a straight question. Does this mean I could give up on my philosophy degree and not bother studying at all? Substitute your own current study or occupation and apply the question to yourself. Well, Paul being Paul, he's not gonna give you a straight answer to this question. He would have made a rubbish careers advisor, in my opinion. Anyway, although 1 Corinthians 1 is not really the place where he works this out, I think his answer would go along the following lines. Once you decide to let God define what is wise, then you are going to find that God's wisdom cannot just be contained to the religious or the spiritual bit of your life. It will have the annoying habit of popping up in every aspect of your life. How we use our money, how we use our time, how we use our energy, how we seek out, or don't, the rich and famous, or the poor and the desperate, whether we pursue friendships with those who make us popular, 
in turn, or with those who simply need a friend and may make us actually quite unpopular. And indeed, we will find God's wisdom overflowing into the best of human life and culture. Only we never thought of it as the best of human life and culture until we had God's wisdom with which to see it in the first place. So will you find any of God's wisdom in a philosophy degree? Very likely. Or in your current studies, or your job, or social circle, or whatever. Very probably. But the challenge will be to measure all these things by God's wisdom and not by our own. And so Paul concludes the passage today with let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I once heard a friend preach a sermon that had a deep and life-changing impact on me in a good way. I told them so, and I thanked them for the sermon. And they said, praise God. Isn't that an interesting response? I don't think we need to say it all the time. Thank you for cooking such a great meal. Well, praise God. That could get quite tedious, couldn't it? But on some level, I think it's true. Paul is writing to a church of people engaged in all the trades of ancient Corinth, from high social status clever speakers to low social status slaves and servants. And he does not, as far as I can tell, tell any of them that they need to change their jobs if they want to get serious about following Christ. No, they can be serious about following Christ, doing exactly what they are doing, as long as their boast, their confidence, their pride is in the Lord and not in their own achievement. Which, judging by the examples Paul gives in the second half of the passage, is actually much harder to do if you are clever, influential, high social status than if you are not. So, sisters and brothers, though it will cost you all you have, pursue wisdom, God's wisdom, and follow where it leads you in the shadow of the cross. I have to say, the first thing that struck me about this passage when I read it uh, in preparation for tonight was that it starts and ends with quotes from the Old Testament. So I think there's a fantastic sermon to preach on how all of this wisdom actually comes from the Old Testament, but if I start on that, we'll be here all night. So that's for another time. Instead, I'll tell you a couple of stories. I used to work for a youth mission. There were four or five teams of us in this mission. And in the country where we worked, uh, we traveled around as teams in brightly painted minivans. I don't know why we did that, but it did make it quite easy to refer to the teams. This is the red van team. This is the green team. This is the blue team. And once in a while, we would all gather for a meeting at a central location. One day, I got there early and was watching as all these brightly colored vans appeared over the horizon and pulled up to the car park. We were about to spend a day talking about how we were going to change the world. 
everything was going to be different because we were here. We were taking on the powers of darkness. God had been waiting for just such people as us to turn up and get everything right. It was going to be amazing. And then as I sat there watching everyone turn up, I thought, or are we just a bunch of young people driving around the country in brightly colored minivans? <laughs> Which of these is the true description of what is going on here today, I asked myself. Does it all depend on what you're looking for? A couple of times I've sat out in the market square watching people turn up for services at St. Nick's. Now that I'm better known, I can't really get away with that anymore. But initially, that's something I did a couple of times. I just thought, I'll pray for people as they're coming in, see who's turning up. I had the same question. Is this the kind of church that Paul talks about that is evidence of the defeat of evil, the triumph of the gospel, and the recreation of all things in Christ? Or is this 50 or 60 people wandering into church one evening to sit and sing a few songs, listen to someone talk for a bit and go home? Which of these is the true wisdom that describes what is happening here? Doesn't it all depend in very many ways on how we see, what sort of eyes we have to see with, what we are able to understand around us. Yes, on one level, we are 50 or 60 people spending an evening sitting in relatively comfortable pews, singing, praying, listening to someone talk, going home again. Paul would say, look at this. This is evidence of the new creation. This is evidence that evil is defeated. This is evidence that all things are being gathered together in Christ. Is that foolish? Is it wise? Does it all depend on what we measure it with? So let me finish with Paul's opening words in the passage tonight. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In our weakness is God's wisdom on the move. And do we have eyes to see that the cross changes everything? Well, if so, then thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.